We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. My name's Colin Kelly, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. I'm joined as always by my co-host, the co-owner of Rotoviz, Mr. Sean Siegel. Sean, today's show a little different, we've had 42 of these shows on the Rotoviz Overtime podcast, they are in the books. This is number 43 and it is the first one with a guest. I'm super excited to say that today we are joined by... None other than Ben Gretsch, the fantasy editor and analyst over at CBS Sports and Fantasy Football today. So I think, Sean, it's only fair to start off with Ben on this one. So, Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, it's quite the honor to be your first guest. Uh, call him. I don't know if we've had the, the pleasure of doing a pod together, but I'm looking forward to it. Sean, you know, I think really highly of you as a, a mentor and a friend. You're, you know, my favorite analyst. You're probably my favorite person in the fantasy industry. So it's always a, a joy to get a chance to talk fantasy with you. So I couldn't be more excited. This is going to be a blast. Yeah, so Sean, no, no pressure on you. Uh, he's, he's just said you're his, fa- his favorite. Uh, but uh, let's leave it at that. Sean, how's things uh, this week? Looking forward to this one. I know, I know you've mentioned you are. Yeah, well, we don't do guests on the show because you know that's you know you you and I like to talk. But when I did the the draft mock with Ben a couple weeks back and had a lot of fun with that. And he mentioned that he was always available. I was like, well, I mean, that's, that's the clear and, and obvious exception. So oh, we're super happy having him on and, you know, going through, obviously we read his work and, and it's not surprising to see that he has a lot of stuff that fits nicely with what we've been doing 
at Rotoviz. And so we're excited to get his his takes on some things here. He's got a couple of really cool pieces that we're going to discuss today, uh, including uh, actually two different ways to avoid traps at running back, I think. So uh, this this should be an awesome discussion. So today's show is going to be action-packed. There's going to be a lot of good content in it. Really looking forward to getting Ben and Sean's thoughts on a number of key subjects. We're going to be hitting on running back draft strategy as well as breakout wide receivers and a lot, lot more. So really should be excellent. Before we get into that, I just want to let you all know, as always, you can get a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass through the Road of His NFL podcast homepage. That is roadofhiscom forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. And best of all, it supports the pod. Another way to support the pod is through the Road of His Patreon. We have the Road of His Radio Patreon Slack channel there for all the people who have gotten involved so far it is a lot of fun they do also get priority in those listener leagues that we have started up this week and if you want to get yourself a priority spot in a listener league you can become a road of his patreon they do start at just six dollars per month and then in that nine dollar tier you get some sweet road of his merchandise to end this season become a road of his radio patreon today and join the exclusive community of listeners access the premium slack channel and of course help the network to continue to grow and produce high quality industry leading programming you can become a patreon today for just six dollars that is patreon.com forward slash road of his radio and also as i mentioned on last week's show we will be giving away a few more ffpc 35 dollar entries to two of our lucky patreon so if you're signed up before this weekend i'll be doing another drawing for two more complimentary 35 dollar ffpc entries so don't miss out on that sign up today so let's get straight into it. We did mention on uh, the start of the show that there's going to be kind of a, a very fun show that we're all excited about. Sean teased it as well with some of the articles. We'll be talking a little bit about running back draft strategy, something that me and Sean have touched on on the show over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we, we often talk about running back strategy and value. We've been quite kind of strong on that kind of modified running back or uh, modified zero RB approach this season in terms of drafts but we'll also be talking later as well about more breakout candidates at the wide receiver i know last week we hit on second year breakouts we'll be looking at breakouts in general uh, in today's show and much much more we'll be looking as well at one of the the apex drafts that sean has been in over the last week with some of the leading guys in the fantasy industry so it's going to be good to talk about that as well but let's start off with the running back draft strategy um you know there is there is a lot that we've talked about this season on the show in terms of um, you know, th- those rounds kind of between rounds three and eight, if it is the dead zone and where to find values, how to kind of identify the best strategy early in the drafts versus later in the drafts. And you've talked about the best way to identify those values up on CBS recently, Ben, and your tagline was, wouldn't it be great if we had one stat that could help identify sleepers, breakouts and busts for the running back? So Ben, if it is that simple, uh, can you just share a little bit about what you found out and uh, enlighten us on our strategy for, for 2019? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, you know, my editor wrote that tagline. I didn't actually specifically write that. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think it is quite that simple, but um, it's funny. I mean, real quick before we jump into it, the running back dead zone was another piece I wrote. And for those of you guys who have followed me uh, on Rotoviz in the last few years, you may remember that typically, and I don't know why I'm like this, but typically every offseason I have like one piece that I'm doing a ton of research on. It's kind of like my big piece in the past. Uh, I wrote a big piece about I, – I, I used to write a lot about league-wide trends. I know a couple of seasons ago at, at Rotoviz, I wrote a big one about the increased use of the shotgun and three wide receiver sets and how that would impact fantasy, uh, which we all kind of are very aware of now here in 2019. And that was back before that was, I, I think, more d- heavily discussed. 
So anyway, going into this offseason, the big one for me was like this this period in the in the running back uh, ADP range, which is something that Sean and I have talked about before. But um, I actually wrote a version of this article for the uh, CBS magazine back in, I think it was May or June. And then after that point, I, I got more into Sean's uh, best ball workshop series, which I think is uh, one of the best series of content this entire offseason in the whole fantasy industry for anyone who's listening to this but hasn't checked that out you, you absolutely have to even if you're not playing best ball there's just an incredible amount of information throughout that series but it was so funny to hear sean highlighting um very similar things for two reasons one um you know it, it, it's a good thing in my mind when i when i'm in lockstep with sean because i i think sean typically knows what he's doing and is on the right trends uh but two we, we know how analysts tend to sometimes, um, especially with a guy like Sean, a lot of Sean's research has reverberations, I think, throughout the industry. And there are, are people who tend to draw off of work, really good work from people like him. Um, so for me, it was like, well, great. This is my great big idea for the year. But Sean's already written all about how, you know, in round three and round four, running back win rates are extremely low and those types of things. So um it is funny. I mean, it, it's a positive. I think that we're on that same thing and, and it's made 2019 drafts extremely fun for me uh, because there are also a ton of, of upside wide receivers, which Sean, you've written about a ton that we can target in those ranges. So it, it's just a really fun year for me for drafting where I, I'm really enjoying just avoiding running backs in that whole range and, and targeting these upside receivers. Uh, as far as the stat that you mentioned, I called it trap or Pat, Pat Corain, one of my uh, former co-hosts, here on Rotoviz Radio, when we uh, did a projection podcast series, I think way back in 2016, where we did all of the 32 teams. Some of the listeners might remember that. Uh, he came up with that name after I was having some trouble with an acronym. Um, and it stands for Trivial Rush Attempt Percentage. Uh, essentially, I, I like to break down running back touches into three classes. Uh, receptions, which are highly valuable, especially obviously in PPR formats. Um what I was calling green zone touches, which I think it's often referred to as the green zone in inside the 10, which is where, uh, you know, if you use the um, expected points and fantasy points over expectation that are in the road of a screener that, that Sean mentions in a lot of his articles, you'll find that the inside the 10 is where the, the vast majority of touchdowns are scored. I think it was something like 70% of running back touchdowns are scored in that range, even though only seven per 7.2% of the running back touches actually come in that range. So really high percentage of, of the scores come in that uh, inside the 10 green zone. So we have receptions, we have green zone, and then we have all those other rush attempts that are basically everywhere else on the field. You know, a lot of times we say between the 20s carries, but, uh, you know, I was stretching that all the way to the 10 and, and obviously back to the, the player's own goal line. Um, so yes, the green zone touches are going to be rushes sometimes and, and also receptions sometimes, but I break those out and I kind of have these three classes. And for as long as, uh, as long as I've played fantasy and as long as I've talked to Sean, I know he plays this way too. You're targeting running backs who have upside in, in two classes, receptions and touchdowns. And the touchdown upside is those, those high value touches. So this trap set was just a way that as I was kind of writing about that concept and, and, and why to fade players who a large percentage of their touch count is these low value rush attempts outside the green zone. I, I kind of just said, well, why don't we create a percentage of that? And, and really I was doing it on the league wide 
level first and realize that over just over 75% of all running back touches are those low value rush attempts. So we often talked about uh, talk about in fantasy touch counts and uh, how big a, a running back's workload is, but almost three quarters of those touches are not that valuable. Frankly, they're not what we're really looking for. What we're really looking for is the 25% because over 50% of PPR fantasy scoring is scored on those 25% touches, the receptions in the green zone touches. It's about 58% and only about 42% of fantasy points for running backs is scored on those low value rush attempts, which is again, a way higher rate of the overall touches. So I created this percentage, this trap percentage that shows what percentage of a player's overall touches are these low value touches. And, and essentially those are trap backs and it's players like Derrick Henry. It's players um, like Sony Michelle who didn't get enough rush attempts last year, though he did get you know some, some red zone work. Uh, and, and to me, those are the players every year that are the, the guys that you want to avoid because you have to still play, pay pretty good draft equity to get them because of their touch counts, because of their expected workloads. But they don't actually necessarily have elite upside at the position. Um, they have the potential, I think, to be a small win. Uh, another thing Sean has talked about over the years, little wins, big little misses and big wins are something that we should be targeting. These guys don't really have the potential to be big wins unless their overall touch mix changes dramatically and they get a lot more receptions or they score a ton of touchdowns. Um, So that's kind of the idea behind the trap stat. And I think it's a a pretty good way, you know, when I, when I made it and started looking at it from the individual player perspective, I thought it was a pretty good way to, to look at specifically the players I was targeting and the players I was fading. And when you look at a a stat and you see at the top of the list, okay, those are guys that I like above their ADPs. And at the bottom, you see those are guys that I don't like. I mean, it seems to make some sense. It it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the keys you mentioned, Pat kind of nailed it on the the trap in terms of the the name of it. I think that is a lot easier on the, on the tongue than the NGS rap or the NGZ rap stat so i think having a good name is something that really helps these things catch on so i think the trap stat is one that could really grow in here and it's it's something sean that we've been kind of talking about similarly on the show i know ryan collinsworth's been doing some stuff on the site in terms of rb touches and rb usage and that there you know in terms of how you have it with the uh, rb mix touch um on the site it's uh or on, on your cbs article is really good sean I, i'm pretty sure that you're going to agree with it, a huge amount of what was said there i think it's it's really really uh good stuff well number one obviously this is super cool number two it was great to look at the trap leaderboard and see that some of the players i've been targeting are do really well in this stat so we have the the best three seasons come from james white and again this is the lowest number of trivial rushes right you want your trivial rush percentage to be as low as possible since those just don't score fantasy points and you know ben was talking about in his article that james white's 2018 breakout in a lot of ways we could see that coming because 2015 2016 2017 the three lowest trap percentages in this time period that he's looking at and then his 2018 was actually the fifth there but the back who was number one in 2018 was Jalen Richard and then uh, going down there to number four after Duke Johnson who unfortunately doesn't get to play anymore for some reason uh, we have our Colts breakout rookie Hines who was a big buzz guy last summer according to all of the Colts people outperformed expectations in a really impressive way they're extremely excited about him 
and yet the buzz is not there for him this year. And you mentioned the the apex draft. I want to get Ben's thoughts on a couple of these guys, and you know we'll talk about the draft in a little bit more detail later. But I was able to get Hines as the running back forty eight in round eleven, and just right before we started the show, Richard in round fifteen as running back sixty six behind a few people which you know i'm wrong about these things all the time but certainly behind a few backs where i'm not sure they're even going to play this year and so ben are are these some of the guys you would be targeting do you see any reasons why especially when you look also just at the fantasy points they scored last season why these guys would be so available so late yeah no and i I wrote a another article that identified you know some of the, the players that the trap um the trap stat seems to to say have a lot of potential, and and, and Hines and, and Richard are both on that list, and and they should be. Richard to me is a silly value this year. I mean, uh, we know Josh Jacobs is has the draft capital, and we know that he's um, going to get a lot of work, and there has been a lot of discussion about his receiving role, but uh, Richard has been a very good receiving back to this point in his career. It, it just seems kind of bonkers to me that people would, would would believe that he wouldn't continue to play at least some on passing downs. And he's also probably the handcuff. I don't, I don't see a lot of concern over Doug Martin being a guy that would keep Rashard off the field. You know, if something were to happen to Josh Jacobs, obviously we're not, we're not wishing for injuries, but if something were to happen, Rashard's role would expand um, at the very least to uh, something similar to last year where he was catching just an insane amount of passes. I, it makes no sense to me where you can get him in drafts. I, I, I think a lot of the concern with Hines is the addition of Paris Campbell and the fact that he might take away some of Hines, you know, slot snaps and some of his short area targets. But I still very much like Naheem Hines. He had a, a decent role in the red zone. We know Luck in the past has had pass catching backs that have done well in the in the short area of the field. Ahmad Bradshaw is a guy who, back in the day, wasn't even necessarily their number one, but would catch like uh, like catch short touchdowns all the time for whatever reason. It's kind of similar to uh, Philip Rivers, who's been doing that for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, those are both absolutely guys that I'm, I think this stat points to, and I also am, am targeting in my leagues. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. 
Yeah, and if you look as well at uh, Hines last year, you know, he had 60 receptions off 76 targets, and there's not many rookies that come in um, and have that actual, you know, production in terms of reception work. So uh, I think there's definitely room for him to grow there uh, this year, and, and it's going to be fun to see him in that offense. The other part that you mentioned there a moment ago is the, the running back dead zone. I kind of touched on it. I know it is something that uh, Dave Cabin and Matt Freeman were kind of touting uh, very early this offseason, and me and Sean have kind of jumped aboard something similar. But what, what did you find in terms of, like, we've been talking about between that kind of third round and eighth round where did you find that that key area of the dead zone was yeah so the way i looked at it and like like we've been saying there's no surprise that we were all like multiple people from with road of his backgrounds were looking at this because this all builds off of sean's work with zero running back (laughs) it's insane to me that in 2019 still gets discussed as not being um like like your running back is dead or whatever. I mean, we are six years away from when that original article was written. And I've been playing that way for several seasons now. It's like you should not overvalue running backs in drafts. And um, specifically with the rise of the Uber back, you would it, it just the logic follows that. Yes. OK, maybe we can take running backs really early, but there's still a ton of value from the tenants of zero RB to, to not be targeting running backs in the other single-digit rounds. Uh, essentially, from when these elite running backs stop, uh, and maybe it's a top 10 to 15 backs in, in today's day and age, to almost double-digit rounds in, in fantasy drafts. I mean, you just shouldn't be drafting running backs in that entire range, essentially. There are small things you can look at at running backs in those ranges. You can look at young guys that are maybe just mispriced because we don't really know what they are. Uh, you can and those types of things, but veteran backs that we're we're drafting or drafters are drafting because of their touch counts. Um, to me, it's just it makes no sense. So um, it, it does make a lot of sense that we all kind of independently got towards this um, towards this strategy. And, and it, I mean, I just like I, m- I mentioned earlier, coming across Sean's work after I had already been working on it, and and laughing to myself because of course, I mean, that just makes perfect sense that that's where Sean's mindset w- would be this off season. Um, after we've seen the the great production from the top running backs, they, um, they still have, you know, you, you can't go full zero running back. I don't think, I mean, you can't, but I don't think you should probably at the very top of drafts uh, with, with the names that we have there, Saquon and Christian McCaffrey and, and the types of workloads that they're getting, when we go back to that trap stat, those guys, even with monster touch numbers, uh, especially McCaffrey and Kamara, are both guys that have top 30 tra- uh, or bottom 30, depending on how you look at it, but good on the good side of the stat trap percentages where just such a high percentage of their touches are receptions and and red zone work. Um, the, the, those are the types of backs that we want to target. They're, the, they're going at the tops of drafts for a reason. But after that point, there is just so, so much value in not drafting running backs. And the way that I got around to that, um, I think it's hard to do running back analyses. You can look at uh, full season stats, but that's going to cut off people who missed a few games. You can look at, and we're still, you know, exceptional. You can look at points per game, but then that, you know, you have to put a minimum games played cut off and wherever you put it, you, you know, missing more than a couple games, it does start to impact the value, even if the guy was very good in points per game. So if you put the cutoff at say 10 games, uh, and somebody played only 10 games or 11 games and was very good in those games, like uh, Kareem Hunt last year, for example, um, that guy probably wasn't necessarily an elite running back because of how he missed the end of the season. It, it, it did kind of kill fantasy owners. Um, and then the other thing is, 
I don't think either of those metrics necessarily captures the running backs that emerged late, which are really, really important. The fact that, um, you know, so many injuries occur and guys that are backups and maybe are just not they're they're playing, but they're not producing a lot throughout most of the season. And then late in the season, we see a huge spike in production. They're not going to have good total season numbers. They're not going to have good points per game numbers. But those are backs that we want to know where they're coming from and how to target them. So. I did what, you know, a data scientist would call in like in an ensemble method. And I'm not trying to compare myself to data scientists because they're they're doing it with multiple algorithms and, and way more advanced. But essentially, when they don't necessarily have an algorithm that attacks a data set the perfect way, they use multiple algorithms and attack the data set from different angles. And that's kind of what I did. I used a, a cutoff for full season total points. I used a cutoff for points per game with a minimum of, of games played. And that cutoff was higher uh, in terms of points per game than the full season points cut off, you know, would the equivalent of that in points per game would be because if they didn't play the full 16 games, I want them to have been really exceptional in the games they did play. And then I looked at the the fantasy playoff period and made the, uh, the points per game substantially even higher because that's only a three-week set. But I, I did want to pull in guys who were very exceptional late in the season so we could try to analyze where those guys came from. And what I found was I, I wound up over the last 10 years with a cohort of 56 running backs. And what I found was about, I think it was 33 of them were first or second round picks. And we do know that top running backs, uh, you know, do well. Like no one no one d- debates that, that they have that potential to be elite running backs. Um, it's more about the fact that they also can bust at a high rate. Uh, there was another, I think, five or so in the third round. And that's really where that transition period was with, in terms of what their ADPs were in their given year. And then from the fourth round through the end of the ninth round, there were only five more backs in that entire range over the last 10 years of ADP that finished as truly elite backs that hit these cutoffs that were in this 56 running back cohort that I built. And then at from rounds 10 to 16, the, the later rounds, there was actually seven backs and there was two more that were undrafted. So to me, it was like, okay, the elite hit rate isn't any different in the four to nine range as it is in the 10 to 16 or undrafted range. The only reason to draft running backs in this four to nine range is to potentially have a higher floor, essentially, to have this small, this potential to have a small win, to, to get an RB2, to lock in the RB2. And it's something you do to feel more secure in your roster on draft day, but it's not something you do. And this is something that having worked with Sean over the years, I've learned primarily from him as I've you know played more and, and tried these strategies, but you, it, it's that is a strategy you do to feel more secure about your roster on draft day. It's not a strategy that will build you a roster that can grow and improve throughout the season. Uh, And if you do forego running backs in that whole range, yes, you're going to look at your roster and you're going to say, wow, my running backs, they don't look that great compared to a lot of the other rosters I'm seeing shared on Twitter and everywhere else. And, you know, the draft grade that you get emailed from the website you're using is going to give you a D minus because your running backs are terrible and, and they want you to have good running backs. But throughout the season, you're going to have the potential, uh, and this goes all the way back to the original zero running back thesis, the anti-fragility. You're going to have the potential to get better throughout the season, to thrive in the chaos of the NFL season. Your running backs that you have, you're going to have the bulk of your running backs on your roster are going to be these late round types that have the potential to move into big workloads as injuries and, and things occur. You're also going to have the potential to, to target the, right, the waiver wire at running back, which is the position that we know uh, you can find elite performers on the waiver wire. Guys like Philip Lindsay was a, uh, and maybe he wasn't necessarily elite. He didn't make my core cohort cutoff, but 
Uh, he was a guy that was was on a lot of waiver wires at the start of last season. Uh, James Conner went undrafted in some leagues. I don't think um, by the time the season started, he was still undrafted because it became clear that Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to report. But he was a late round guy who suddenly was elite and was in this cohort uh, from the the research that I did here. So it's it's absolutely a strategy that it's not going to make you feel good on draft day based on how you've done it, if it's not something you've tried. But when you think about the way your team will will take shape throughout the season, and if you go back and look at any of your previous teams that you've had in fantasy football, your end-of-season team does not match your team on draft day. Not at all. There's going to be so many changes. And, and if you think about the way your team can take shape, when you build a team like this, you give yourself the chance to get better as it takes shape. And it's very clear how it can get better because you'll be very strong at wide receiver, probably be fine at quarterback and tight end, depending on where you go with those positions. And your running back position is the one that you'll be targeting. It will be, it will be improving throughout the year. And it's something that you can find those players with that upside late in, late in drafts or on the free agent wire. Um, so anyway, it's, it's pretty clear to me that that's the way to, to be drafting this year. Like I said, it's, I th- I've had a blast building teams that way this, this offseason. I'm fine taking some of the running backs early in the first couple of rounds but then just targeting all those upside wide receivers, which is another thing we should get into. But God, there's so many this year um, that are just so fun. And, and then just building your team that way. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into the wide receivers um, after we run through some more running backs because I know there's a couple of guys that both of you want to get your opinions on. Um, obviously, we have kind of talked very similar to what you're saying, Ben, and I think that's a very smart point. And you mentioned that you've learned it from Sean. It's that We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's about having that team in November that has players who would be the equivalent of like five or six second round picks rather than, you know, those middle to late round picks. So they have that value come that time of the year. And that's kind of what you're hitting on. On draft day, it mightn't have that value. But when it comes to later on in the season, your team's going to thank you for it as you're heading towards the playoffs. So when we look at some of these running backs, I know uh, that we have a situation this past week. Obviously, there was a little bit of surprise re- regarding the uh, Houston Texans. Uh, Dante Foreman was released. He hasn't really looked the same since coming back from that Achilles injury. Uh, so there is the two thoughts here. There is obviously Lamar Miller. I've seen some people, you know, kind of dock him down a little bit in terms of uh, how he might be used from a receiving point of view and how things are affected there. Obviously, Foreman has landed now with the Colts. We'll see if anything happens. Uh, I haven't really changed any of my true projections for the, the Colts running backs but I'm going to let you go first Sean uh, in terms of both Miller and Foreman uh, are you just uh, leaving it as uh, wait and see with Foreman and then what's your thoughts on Lamar Miller for for this season have you changed your your rankings of him any over the last week yeah I moved Miller way up in part because he fit exactly what Ben has talked about so much here which is that when you have these backs that have workloads that haven't been that valuable I mean you look at Lamar Miller and you know I wrote about him yesterday in terms of how it affects him how it affects the Colts and what his situation is and the Houston Texans have been in the top 10 in rush attempts and so even though he he doesn't have those high value touches there's a little bit of a situation where his workload has been buoyed simply by what the Texans do and then that makes him look like someone who's kind of interesting uh, even though prior to this release he was not because not only does he not have the high value touches but he was someone based on what he's done if you're losing a lot of touches to alfred blue i mean that's a massive red flag and so then you have a player coming back who's much much more talented than blue probably much more talented or at least competitive with miller and so you simply can't use 
a pick even in the single digit rounds on a player who could very quickly lose that starting position and doesn't have a lot of upside if he maintains it. However, as soon as you lose the only real competition for him, then he jumps up, I think, into a more interesting situation, especially if you expect the Texans to actually open the offense up, generate more of those goal line touches, that kind of thing. So I'm interested to hear who Ben likes in this background. Jordan Hoover wrote yesterday about Crockett Higdon, how uh, likes Crockett like a lot of people do. Um, Ben, obviously, you remember Josh Ferguson from your one of his days, and and I think that he's someone who has to be a little bit interesting here. You can pull up the box score scout, look through his stats, and see that although his rushing numbers at Illinois, and we go back to Illinois because he hasn't really had an NFL opportunity, not incredibly impressive. But here's a guy who caught 168 passes in college. Uh, multiple years over a thousand yards from scrimmage and really seems to fit maybe what the Texans need. Yeah. I mean, I think he's very interesting. I, I, I think they're going to bring in another back. I feel like it's kind of a lock that that's going to happen. I don't, you know, probably a late camp cut from another team. Um, we, you know, it's hard to handicap it now I, for me, as I did the, my updated projection, I had to remove Deontay Foreman from their backfield. Um, I've definitely bumped up Miller's, share of touches a little bit. And then I, I kind of just split the remaining touches between Ferguson and um, Crockett and Higdon. Uh, I, I had to Crockett a little bit higher on the rushing, rushing side as kind of the, the, my, my favorite option in, in terms of who might actually carry, carry some work. But then I also have Ferguson being the guy who probably leads the team in, in backfield to, or not the team, but the backups in backfield targets. I, I, I bumped uh, Lamar Miller's, um, I actually ended up bumping Lamar Miller's targets down a little bit because I thought Deontay Foreman was a, a type of player who, if he was behind Miller, probably wouldn't threaten the, the passing downs. But now if Josh Ferguson is behind him, he, he might threaten Lamar Miller's passing down. So I, I find that interesting, actually, that you said you move Miller way up because after this cut, for me, I was a little bit... Um, I, I can see that Miller getting more touches, but I'm concerned that he won't get as many of the touches we want. Now you mentioned the the red zone touches and that actually makes a very good point um, because he is playing in a very good offense. So perhaps he will still be worth that, but uh, I have a hard time seeing the upside with him because we've seen him play in this offense for, uh, for 16 games for three straight years. Well, he only played 14 in two of those years, but uh pretty much full seasons for three straight years and just hasn't necessarily hit that upside yet. Uh, and I am a little worried about Kiki Cutie taking some of those short area targets as well. So I don't, I, I have them, that team seeing a really high percentage of passes going towards the wide wide receiver position and Cutie being a guy who's handling a lot of the, the short area targets that might typically go to running backs. So um, I, I'm not particularly high on Miller for those reasons, but um Certainly, I'll have to rethink that if you know, if you're if you're thinking that he he becomes a value at this point. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a very, a very interesting one um, in terms of how it'll shake out. It's interesting you mentioned about uh, Kiki Kudia. Some people may not be factoring that into those projections. A player that you've been uh, talking a little bit about this week on, on Twitter, Ben, is Damian Williams of the Chiefs. Obviously, there's been talk off him, and you know I've seen him go extremely early in drafts, and I've seen him going into the kind of the late third round. Where are you on on Williams? Do you think he should be at the end of that first round, or do you think that he should be? Uh, kind of going in that third round range uh, just to, to share your views with the listeners well he's fallen for me a little bit um i was targeting him in the second round of a lot of drafts uh i think his hamstring injury is concerning i think andy reads quotes that um 
you know, he'd like to see Williams be on the field is concerning. Um, but I'm still taking him. Like I, I just took him in uh, a CBS mock yesterday in the third round uh, where, you know, he, because he was falling a little bit more, I, I liked that value a little bit more. I took him at the uh, right at the 2-3 turn in a draft where I had the 101 in another draft. So I, I still really like him, and he's somebody that I am still targeting uh, because of this trap percentage concept. Uh, he's going to be a, a back who catches a lot of passes. That's always been his profile. If you go back to his Miami days, um, was a part-time player, caught at least 20 balls in every season as a part-time player, and then last year was very good as a receiving back. Over his career, his yards per target are well above uh, average. Um, I think it's about 6.4 yards per target for a running back. Uh, the average is typically about 6.0. I mean, that's not maybe not well above, but it is. He, he's a more efficient receiving back than than um, than average. Whereas Carlos Hyde in his career is sub four in yards per target. Never really been an efficient receiving back. Now, having said that, if you look at team um, receiving productivity, the Kansas City Chiefs come out. I just saw a tweet on Twitter, and I, I wish I could um, give credit where it's due, but I saw somebody had run um, like EPA added per running back pass attempt, and the Chiefs were just way above every other team. And that's what we would expect because of Andy Reid's screen game and how well he designs plays and touches to his running backs in the passing game. So yeah, I mean, a guy like Carlos Hyde can still be very effective in an Andy Reid offense. I would expect him to be better, but Hyde isn't actually a very good passer, pass catcher. He doesn't really have that in his uh, history. He had a big reception season uh, with the 49ers but it was very low efficiency and that was a year where they were cycling through quarterbacks and during the period where cj bethard was under center hyde had like a an over a a 20 percent target share he was just getting checked on after check down i think he had 88 targets that year and over 50 of them came from bethard in like five games he was averaging like over 10 targets a game from bethard so that's the the season that people go back and cite for Hyde and say he has a receiving profile. Well, it was mostly just receptions. It was inefficient, and it was mostly because of bad quarterback play, frankly. So I don't think Hyde is necessarily the combination back that Reed would want. And so I really like um, Darwin Thompson behind him, who uh, I know Sean likes as well, is a very good uh, rookie probably zero running back target, somebody who was very explosive at Utah State and has probably the potential to be a, a running and receiving dual threat, and I think that's what Reed wants. But we know about like the inertia of being the lead back, and we know that Damian Williams, I mean, they extended him even before their playoff run last year. They were content enough with the way he was playing. Uh, and if you go all the way back to like 2014, you can find uh, the fantasy douche writing articles and articles and articles about Damian Williams and his athletic profile. This guy does have the athleticism and the ability to play at the NFL level. He's never got the opportunity and he is a 27 year old who's never had more than 50 rush attempts in a season. But I do think he absolutely has the physical profile to do it. I think he's in the perfect system to do it. And I think he's going to be the preferred number one running back for this team. And then if this offense is as good as they're, they're going to be, why would they have any reason to start taking touches away from him is kind of the way that I'm viewing it. It's, it's this inertia where when you are the lead back and you're getting all the touches and your offense is going, you know, going well and rolling and, and you're making plays in the past game and you're scoring touchdowns, he, he's going to contribute to the game in so many different ways. It's hard for him to, to lose that job, frankly. You'd have to be pretty bad for them to want to replace him in an offense that's going to be, in my opinion, and in my full expectation is going to be rolling. Um, so, I feel very good about him still. I am. Uh, he's falling a little bit for me because of the hamstring, because of the fact that he's missing reps. 
But I also read into Andy Reid's quote a little bit and the fact that he said, hey, you know, he's missing some key time. This isn't great. Uh, Carlos Hyde is, is really taking care of the opportunities that he's getting. I also read into that a little bit as the same thing the Chiefs have been saying all offseason, which is we want Damian Williams to be our lead back. I mean, he's, he's coming out and saying that because he's thinking Damian Williams is his lead back and he wants to get him out there. Um, whether that's, you know, a motivation tactic or whatever, it's the, the clear implication there is that Damian Williams is the guy he expects to lead that backfield. And that's what they've been saying all offseason. And that's still what I expect to at least start the season. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that Williams can hold, hold that job barring injury. And now the injury is becoming a little bit of a concern because we know hamstrings can crop back up. So, uh, I, I'm still on him and he's still a guy I'm targeting. I do like a little bit of a discount at this point when I can get it. It's interesting that you're mentioning, uh, still targeting him with and those specific pluses and minuses because in the all avoid list that I put out the running back landmines looking at the seven roster killers from last year looking at those guys in the third and fourth rounds who really hamstrung teams and how to avoid those types of players and then contrasting the guys I was suggesting to avoid this year my target list the only player in the first six seven round range who was both a target and a clear avoid was Damian Williams and that really I think illustrates the the contradiction in his profile a little bit and then he's someone a little bit like a more exciting version of Kenyon Drake where the upside and the way he finished last season is just off the charts and if you were to tell us at the end of the season that Damian Williams finished as the number one running back I don't think that would come as a huge surprise to people at the same time in the area that he's being drafted, he's far and away the most likely back to be replaced, far and away the most likely back to lose his starting position. If he has a bad month, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure to go to someone else. Now, you mentioned Carlos Hyde. It's, we talk all the time about how efficiency isn't super predictive in the NFL, not something you necessarily want to overly uh, emphasize when you're putting together your fantasy rosters, but sometimes that can be a little bit misleading. Regardless, Carlos Hyde is is surprisingly effective at generating points below expectation. Right? <laughs> so if you're going to look at one person who who is not good or has not been good in the past, then you know that's going to be Carlos Hyde. Now in the Chiefs' offense, probably a little bit different. But again, you mentioned Darwin Thompson, and I think because of this situation where the upside is so huge that he is someone you want on every roster. Now the most likely scenario is that he's not going to score any points for you, but there's no one else in the range where he's being drafted who also has this maybe top five running back sort of upside. So that's the way that I like to play it, you know, get a little bit of a, a wide receiver in there. But yeah, Damian Williams and, and anybody on that Kansas City Chiefs team is extremely exciting. Are you taking Williams in any leagues? I mean, you said Thompson in, in every league you can get him, but are you like, where are you at with drafting Williams? I, I haven't been picking him. I have him in some dynasty leagues and I am, am constantly kind of working trades to see if people, uh, you know, what the price is for him. But one of the things, and I mention this on every show because every week, all the trade offers I get are for DJ Moore. And so it, it's interesting, I think, to contrast that and even contrast it when you're looking at redraft value, right? When people want more for you know dj Moore for damian williams that's a, a difficult kind of trade to make certainly from a dynasty perspective but when you're looking at when is damian williams going to lose that job and lose his dynasty value well it, it's going to happen this year if it happens i mean clearly the running backs have shorter uh, shelf lives you know could lose it in the future but the fact that it's such a concern that you're probably not going to 
sell DJ Moore for Damian Williams in Dynasty, a lot of the things that people think about in terms of Dynasty would really help them if they simply applied that to redraft because most of the redraft, the poor redraft decisions people are making are because they're looking at it as something completely different. Like where is that value loss and that value change? And Patrick Crane, who you mentioned, Ben, um, had an excellent article series on this in terms of of value and when that value is going to be lost in most cases those value changes are going to happen sooner rather than later and so you you want to factor that into your redraft uh, rankings and your redraft strategy as always allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends over at the ffpc the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football it's been 10 years since the ffpc filled their first dynasty league and they've now grown to the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues as high as five thousand dollars to enter ffpc leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now from 77 dollars and up in standard superflex and best fall formats and for all of you that are looking for the biggest challenge of your fantasy football career take a look at the ffpc main event it's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football and this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over 3.1 million in total prizes you can go to las vegas for the three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities or you can play at home from the comfort of your own home Main event drafts start August 23rd and run through the start of the season, so don't miss out. Head on over to myffpc.com. That is myffpc.com. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. So last week, Sean, on the show, we talked about second-year breakout options. We hit on some of them other years over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, Ben, is there any players that you see that are potentially primed to break out in 2019 um, in terms of, at the moment, we'll look on those first 10 rounds, so you're probably looking at between rounds kind of 5 through 10. Is there any players there that are, are really of interest? You mentioned having the opportunity to, to really dive into those guys after the running backs in those first couple of rounds. Because I do tend to look at wide receiver prospects from a lot of the same metrics that Sean has, has shown us uh, are valuable um, production over athleticism. Um, guys like John Moore, guys like Kevin Cole, and a lot of people at Rotoviz have, have done a lot of research on this. And so for me, yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's DJ Moore. It's Calvin Ridley. It's Tyler Boyd. Um, and then, you know, for... Uh, another thing that I have kind of come around to more and more, and, and one of the biggest influences on this, I think, is the fact that Sean and I have co-owned a team for the last two years in uh, Mike Clay's Going Deep League, and we were, we were lucky enough to win it the first year that we co-owned a team together. Had a little bit less luck last year, but um, one, of the, one of the things that in talking with him and seeing kind of the way that, you know, the decisions that he'll, he'll make in, in drafts and his thought process that I have grown an appreciation for is 
you know, I used to be very projections heavy. So when players look like they're boxed out of targets or boxed out of opportunity, I would almost say like, that's a complete fade. And it, it seems to me, I don't want to speak for Sean, but it seems to me that a lot of his targets are guys that are almost explicitly blocked out of opportunity, but have the talent that have the skill, have the, um, have the prospect profile that we should expect that if they get additional opportunity, they can be absolute fantasy forces. And the only thing that's holding them back is this projected opportunity. Because, again, going along with the anti-fragility concept of zero running back and the chaos of an NFL season, things happen. And an opportunity opens up, and that is where explosive league-winning performances come from is when guys suddenly find massive opportunities. So it's guys like Mike Williams uh, and Calvin Ridley who were very efficient last year but don't project to have enough targets this year. But like for Atlanta, Calvin Ridley, all four of their top pass uh, targets, Ridley, Sanu, Julio Jones, and Austin Hooper, all played 16 games last year. Yes, he didn't get a ton of targets. He only think I got, I got it like 93. He was under 100 targets. Probably unlikely that all those guys play 16 games again this year. I mean, that's just the way the NFL season plays out. So, yes, if they do, maybe Ridley isn't a great value on his on his ADP. But like, assume maybe Julio Jones misses a few games. You know, I again, I don't want to like we're never wishing for injuries or anything. But assume that happens, Calvin Ridley is going to probably be a star based on the way that he pro- uh, produced in his rookie season and showed that his skills can translate to the NFL level. Um, for DJ Moore, the reason I like him so much. He just didn't even get on the field. I mean, didn't have a 50% snap share until week eight. Didn't have a 90% snap share until week 12. And still had 960 total yards. He only scored two touchdowns. So he he wasn't really as good as um, his yardage and his, uh, you know, his efficiency to some, some degree showed. I mean, he was extremely efficient after the catch. He was extremely efficient on his 13 rush attempts. He had 172 rushing yards. This is a guy who is almost certainly going to be playing 90 plus percent of the snaps from week one all season long now. And Curtis Samuels, another guy in that same offense, same deal. I mean, apart from Cam Newton and apart from Christian McCaffrey, they're the only two who even really have consistent ADPs in this offense. If we use that as a proxy for projection and projected opportunity, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuels should both be playing a ton this year. No one actually thinks that, you know, Chris Hogan or those guys or Torrey Smith or any of those guys are going to, are going to keep these guys off the field. And if you look at Greg Olson's ADP, it's, you know, outside the top 20 tight ends uh, because he's been banged up the last couple of years. And maybe he's a target, but he's also someone who's probably not expected to seriously hinder the ability for either of those two young receivers to break out this year. And Samuel had a similar trend where he wasn't playing a lot of snaps during the season. So he's also on this list uh, uh, on the article that I wrote um, over at CBS. So there's a, just a number of guys that are young that have the potential to potential that, that, are, that are young and have been productive enough. Uh, Chris Godwin obviously is another one that people love. His ADP is almost hard for me to to get him on any teams. He's somebody else that I wrote about uh, as a prospect over at Rotoviz before he even came out. That maybe we were a little bit low on him at the time, and uh, he slipped a little bit in the draft, and he hasn't got enough playing time yet. But he's been very very good when he has, and I, I really like his profile. Um, he didn't show up great in like dominator rating and things like that because he had a really big receiving yard season without many touchdowns. And then he like fell back in yards, but had plenty of touchdowns and they were in different seasons. And, and I just thought that was kind of a quirky thing in his profile, but he still showed that he had the ability to put up numbers in multiple categories and, um, definitely somebody that I expect to break out this year, but man, he's, he's a little bit expensive compared to some of these other guys. Um, Galladay, we don't necessarily know how his often offense is, but another guy who has all those metrics that we're looking at. 
Um, but yeah, Mike Williams, um, Dante Pettis, Will Fuller, guys that look like they might not necessarily get enough targets, but what if something happens to George Kittle? What if something happens to DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, we don't wish any of those things to happen, but these are guys that could potentially break into big roles. Uh, Corey Davis is a guy who still had a 24% target share last year. Um, I just think Tennessee didn't throw a lot because Marcus Mariota hurt his throwing arm in week one, and it was it was kind of impacting him all season. So that's a, a team that still really wants to run, and he has some of the same issues that, that Galladay has. We don't necessarily know if there'll be enough volume in the team on the team level, but uh, I still think Corey Davis certainly has the potential to show that he can be a number one wide receiver in this league, and he was still pretty pretty efficient last year in his situation. So a lot of guys like that. I'm sure there's several guys on that list that you guys have already chatted about. Yeah, I know. I know for like DJ Moore, uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, me, me and Sean have been on that on that train all off season, and as well, Will Fuller's on that list. Uh, Sean, is there any guys there that haven't been mentioned that you want, or either guys that have been mentioned you want to head on again? But is there anyone that hasn't been mentioned there that you want to spotlight? I thought it was interesting a couple of the points that Ben was making there, and this idea of targets versus efficiency and that kind of thing. And one of the reasons why efficiency is not going to be that consistent year to year is that when you have some of these young players who are explosive are efficient then the whole idea for an nfl coordinator is to maximize the volume for the players who have the most talent who have the most explosive ability who are going to bring back the most per play value and you're going to try to balance your play calling to where the efficiency for your players should be relatively even because you're moving the volume up for the people who are above average you're moving the volume down for people who are below average and as a result of that, you know, we see some of these guys with the big volume jumps and it can be difficult to maintain some of that that efficiency, but that's exactly the whole point in terms of the play calling scheme. Blair Andrews has some cool articles on the site about rookie efficiency and just how that really does give a very strong signal for subsequent years. And so, when we're, especially when we're looking at these young players, we know those second year guys are going to really make the big jump in terms of where the most likely breakouts are and where the big point increases are likely to come. And so for people like Moore and Ridley, whom Ben mentioned, if the volume numbers are a little bit low, lower as rookies than what you might expect from a veteran, then that's not a problem for me at all because we can easily see that they're going to be more involved in their offense going forward. And so I think if you're getting any kind of discount, which I believe we still are for some of these guys, because of this idea, well, you know, um, Ridley scored all those touchdowns. If you take the touchdowns away, he's not that valuable. People are, are overly excited about him. That's definitely not the case there. The one person, though, that I, I wanted to get Ben's take on sort of really quickly before we get into the next segment is sort of the one breakout candidate who is not getting that expensive at this point. I mean, some of these guys have started to get pretty trendy. They can be difficult because once the ADP gets high enough, then that really is that question of, well, you know, is there a lot of room to run? Now we saw with Juju Smith-Schuster last year that the right, the right guy and all of the metrics point to Moore and Ridley being the right guy. So, you know, if you're going to jump into that range where you're at top six, top seven wide receiver, then a fourth round ADP is an issue. Still, we'd like to get more of a discount on that if we can. Corlin Sutton is another player who has some very big positives in his resume, but either because of the Broncos offense in general, because of Joe Flacco, because the fact that Emmanuel Sanders may be healthy. And so he may still be the number one. Corlin Sutton is still pretty cheap. Yeah. And it's so funny. I had him in this article and I, I removed him for a couple of reasons. One, 
Uh, and he's a little bit later. He's you, you can draft him back in the range where you're starting to, to jump back on running backs. Um, and then the second one was I just already had so many names on the on the article. It was getting kind of long. But um, I I still like him. I mean, he only caught 50% of his targets last year, and that's because a lot of his targets went uh, uncatchable. If you look at like Sports Info Solutions data, uh, I don't have the, the number in front of me, but um, a lot of uncatchable targets. And that's in part because of his average depth of target it was very high. But it's clear he didn't really have a great connection uh, with Case Keenum. Only catches 50% of his targets, but still posts an 8.4 yards per target, which, again, average depth of target is going to influence. But he was good. I mean, he was good. He, he turned turned a lot of his air yards into uh, receiving yards downfield. And then if we look at Emmanuel Sanders' profile, especially his air yards profile over the last several seasons, even before his Achilles tear, his average depth of target has dropped the last like four seasons. He's become a lot more of a possession receiver. It's not uncommon. He's 31 or 32 years old. We've seen similar things with guys like Larry Fitzgerald as they, as they start to be a little bit more of possession receivers. They don't have as much explosiveness. Now that he's coming back from an Achilles tear, for me, if, if he makes it all the way back and he's actually playing, which I've been completely blocking out of my mind as a possibility, it just seemed crazy. But we do know that Steve Smith did that. Uh, before his final season, somehow came back from an Achilles that was described as shredded and was actually efficient the next season and, and played well. So if Sanders does come all the way back from that, I think he's a lot more of a concern for for Deshaun Hamilton's area of the field, the shorter targets. Cortland Sutton should still be the downfield guy on this offense. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Joe Flacco's deep ball ability over the last several seasons in, in fantasy circles. A lot of people say he He's a great deep ball passer because he does have a big arm. And then others will point to numbers that show that he's not necessarily the best deep ball passer. Uh, the way that I tend to look at it is with, especially with a guy like Sutton, who clearly did not have the, the connection with Case Keenum last season that there's, uh, I mean, he, he did catch plenty of deep passes, but I would say with the amount of uncatchable targets that were, were thrown his way, he probably did not have a great connection that there's probably only room for to, to improve. Um, Flacco did help John Brown be a very uh, solid early season receiver last year um, in a, a largely deep threat, high air yards, high A dot role. So um, if Sutton continues to play that role, I don't see a lot of competition for him in those deep area targets. And I actually think the fact that he was still able to be fairly efficient last year, despite you know some of those connection issues and so many uncatchable passes, I think he, he showed enough last year that I, I he's certainly still worth targeting to me and uh, you know, if, if the targets are there, I think he could very well be a, a solid, a solid option this year. So Sean, we're going to jump in now and look a little bit at the apex fantasy draft that you did, uh, this, uh, past week. It's still ongoing as we, as we record the show, lots of great people in there, uh, like all the leagues that you'd be drafting in, but Evan Silva, Rotopat, uh, the pod fathers in there, Sigmund Bloom, Matt Harmon, uh, lots and lots of guys in there, CD Carter and Mike Clay as well, with Lord Reeves as well. So stack, stack league, lots of smart guys in there. Makes always very interesting to see the, the draft strategy and how that shakes out. The, the interesting thing about this, Sean, that I want to get your opinion on is um, in terms of your overall draft here, it's not generally the, the draft strategy that I see coming from you in most of your leagues. You know, I can kind of pick out uh, the team and say, yeah, that's Sean's pick and yeah, that's Sean's pick there. There's a couple of picks in here that kind of stood out for me and 
uh, I'm going to kind of lay a few at you here and you can pick whichever one you, you, you want to, to go with. But um, obviously you have Michael Thomas in the first round, a really solid pick there, and then George Kittle in the second round. Um, we did talk a lot last year about the, the tight ends and early on the drafts and how to stack those guys up. Uh, and I know that uh, that's probably something that you're thinking about here. But the next one then is Patrick Mahomes in the fourth round first quarterback off the board at that point uh, and then I know I know you've been a fan of Robbie Anderson he's the, he's the pick after that the ones that I thought was interesting because we were talking about the dead zone earlier in the running backs and I was going to bring this up at the time but it was Sonny Michelle and Rashad Penny back to back in round seven and eight so through those kind of first uh, eight rounds were you were you happy with how the team had uh, shaken, shaken out there and what was your thought process behind a couple of those picks because they don't, don't tend to fall into your your, your normal draft strategy yeah I this was an interesting draft because almost all of the players that I got from the fifth round range to the ninth round range are guys that I don't normally get. And then there were a few more of those guys later on. So a little bit of a diversification here. The Mahomes pick, I think, is the most controversial one because I do know that in this particular league, the drafters are going to take the, <laughs> the quarterbacks extremely late. And Denny, last year champion, is not going to draft one at all. Right? He hasn't drafted one in years. And uh, in and went on and won the title uh, this league has the ability you know has waivers before the season so he just picks up and starts streaming quarterbacks you know right before the season starts one of the ideas and you don't want to get pulled into all of a sudden taking a bunch of quarterbacks early but one of the ideas behind zero running back is to try and figure out how to maximize your starting lineup and get as many points in there as possible and so if you think the draft is going to fall in such a way that you'll be able to stack your wide receivers you're going to have a lot of late round running back options and you have an area where you don't necessarily like another pick but you have some type of player at a different position with incredible upside at least according to, to how you're looking and then we know that projections are are very very fallible are not going to turn out to be accurate we do know that the qb1 has actually not performed particularly well uh, in subsequent seasons uh going forward but when we're looking at patrick Mahomes, we're looking at a guy who you know already has this greatest player of all time sort of vibe to him and certainly from a fantasy points perspective the ceiling is there now will he hit it or will it be a situation a little bit like deshaun watson where watson had you know this extraordinary start and then returns to normal which is even what we tend to see from guys like andrew luck aaron Rodgers. not that they return to normal but they drop back down to where that's not a good pick right mahomes perhaps will be an exception there one of the things that I think was so interesting about this draft is that it actually followed a lot of the things that we've been talking about through the course of the season. So we had three different people who did not draft a running back in the first four rounds. So you might call that zero running back light version. We had another couple of drafters with only one running back in the first five rounds. And then we had two other teams with only two running backs in the first seven rounds. Right, so I wanted to bring this back around to you, Ben, and ask you, because in your article about the running back dead zone, one of the things you pointed out is that people are still going to draft those guys, and that really shifts how we look at the market. But in this particular draft, even with so many people going zero running back light or wide receiver heavy, we had round four, nine wide receivers selected, only two running backs. Round five, eight wide receivers selected, four running backs. Round six, no running backs selected in the entire round. 
At the conclusion of round six, we had 40 wide receivers picked, only 23 running backs. And then after that, it was kind of interesting, more just you know cherry picking a, a little run. But we had a 10 consecutive pick run from 806 to 903 without a running back. And the thing that was interesting about this then is that it actually does push some of those guys who maybe would be red flag players in round four. You know, once you start to get a Michelle in round seven, it's a little bit of a different dynamic, especially if you believe that he might add a little bit to his receiving profile. When you get Penny, who is uh, competing, obviously, with Carson there, and there are a lot of different ways where that would break that he ends up having a monster season, a little different in the eighth round than in the fifth round. And then especially when you can stack in all of these great trap guys later on. And so my takeaway here is that if players draft the way they should, if owners draft based on all of the information we have, whether it's win rates, whether it's trap percentages, whether it's the dead rounds that we know about specific other types of, of running back percentages, and then simply uh, Blair Andrews has a tool coming out in the next day or so that simply shows the same thing that the fantasy douche had talked about for a long time and also had some apps about uh, several years ago that wide receivers score more points <laughs> in these rounds. If owners draft efficiently, then we suddenly are not in the situation where wide receiver is deep. We were looking in the seventh, eighth rounds, and the quality of the wide receiver you could get versus the quality of the running back you could get, it was significantly worse, right? So, so what's your take on this? And, you know, is there a situation where owners might run into some drafts like this where people are drafting more efficiently and suddenly this idea of, well, I've got to pay the market price at running back no longer really holds? I mean, first of all, I just love this question. I love your your thoughts on this draft. I always follow this draft because there is so many people uh, in it whose opinions I respect. Uh, I love I love watching this Apex draft every year and I've been following it and it's absolutely something that I noticed. I mean, you, you pointed it out. There's six running backs from rounds four through round six. You like, you will not see that anywhere else. That is wild across three uh, middle rounds. And in my dead zone piece, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I wrote about. Same thing that you mentioned that it was my opinion that, uh, you know, an equitable draft board would see a big gap in that range. And, but what I said was that's not what the market reflects. It's the, the drafters, aren't necessarily going to take this barbell-like approach um, where they're heavy in the first couple rounds, then lean for several, then heavy again. And then I wrote, since the, that is not our reality, the solution is simple. Don't draft many running backs in the dead zone. Unfortunately, as you just mentioned, you drafted in a draft where that was more the reality. And I think it is a really interesting question. And it's not one that I necessarily dove into. I think the solution's simple when uh, when you look at what, what drafts are, are like, but obviously as is typical with you, you're going kind of next level. And I think you're right. I think at a certain point, it makes sense for you to draft guys like Sony Michelle and, and where you took Rashad Penny. And you, I mean, you took Michelle in the seventh round probably has a pretty safe floor, right? I mean, I, I, he's a guy who I think could get usurped and can completely become useless, I guess, uh, in like a Stephen Ridley way, if he has fumble issues or whatever, but, uh, probably has a pretty safe floor to his touches in general and, and should be uh, able to score some touchdowns and a good offense. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this, with pass game usage. Right. And, and I think actually Rex Burkhead is a guy who has been completely forgotten about this year and maybe won't even be active to start the season. There's some talk. They might stash him on, on PUP or short-term IR 
Um, but if he's active in any way, you got kind of James White and Rex Burkhead are both pass catching backs. You're probably not going to see Sonny Michelle start to catch more passes. Um, but I do think at a certain point, guys like him generally in that tier, they start to make sense because obviously those guys should still go before uh, these late round dart throws who may not even have roles. I mean, we can at least project touches for those guys. Um and so it, it is. It's really interesting. I, I thought the most fascinating part of your draft was you only have five receivers at this point, and you're through 15 rounds. I don't think I've ever seen a draft that you've done where you've had such uh, shallow receiver depth, especially considering you only took two in the first four rounds, but you didn't feel the need to chase receivers into those middle rounds where it really flattens out, and you wanted to make sure you got running back depth in those rounds. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that a little bit. Exactly your point there in the once – the value flattens out. I don't think there's a lot of need to continue to stack people in. Now, um, there are some people like Isaiah Jones, for example, who, if he had lasted a couple more rounds, I think would be an interesting pick because although there are some key differences in the resume between Jones and Tyler Boyd, there are also some similarities to where I think he could be your, I mean, it's round 14, but he's wide receiver 73, right? So he could be your wide receiver 73 breakout guy this year where he finishes in the top 25. So there, there are a handful of guys like that, but you know, the great thing about starting with the main guys is that you do have that firepower. You can start, all your positions, you have the flex. And then the issue here, and I talked about it a little bit in the article, is that because of the way the, the different scoring profiles, you're really looking at this as a two running back, four wide receiver format, because you, you do need to have a wide receiver in the flex if you want to maximize how you're drafting. And then in those first 10, 11 rounds, that means you want to come out with sort of 50% more on your roster than what you're going to start. And so that'll be three running backs and six wide receivers. Well, I may never get to six wide receivers uh, in this roster at all. So I do think that it's light and I have had um, some trade offers because I did start with the wide receiver heavy from people who started a little bit running back heavy and wanted to perhaps balance it out. And my thought was just, you know, if I had drafted uh, DJ Moore or Calvin Ridley or Tyler Boyd, instead of Mahomes there, then it would be more possible to do a trade i still probably wouldn't because the whole idea there would be to get to those six wide receivers to make sure i had the redundancy to make sure i had the firepower because when people think about their starting lineups and i just put this in the article talking about uh the draft for me it helped to to think about as the sort of the starting lineup plus right where people are always thinking in terms of their starting lineups not thinking about the injuries they're going to have not thinking about the fact that there are a ton of bye weeks and that you want to hammer your opponents through those bye weeks right? You want when everybody else's scoring starts to drop, that yours is going to stay up there. Now, you know, anytime that you're going to be losing some of your key players out, your scoring is going to drop a little bit, but you do want your roster construction to reflect the fact that those things are going to happen and that the more firepower you have, then the better off you're going to be in terms of being able to have that scoring when other people don't, right? And so I would have liked to have gotten to six here, I do like the guys. I, I still have a little bit of, of concern, but I was encouraged to hear you say those things about Corey Davis. I do think those points are are very valid. And while I'm certainly not as high as, on him as I was a couple years ago, I do think that he could break out. I think that the wide receivers they've added could actually help him. And that's one of the things you know you talked a little bit about earlier too, where we get a little bit overly concerned about target share and don't look enough at the fact that 
you have better receivers, the overall pie can get larger, right? So some of these teams that didn't pass a ton, you know, like the Titans, like the Texans, you know, once you have an AJ Brown, once you get Will Fuller back and you get your little rookie underneath receiver, you know, hopefully healthy and taking the next step, you know, once you add an Adam Humphreys, then those offenses should pass more. Now, whether or not they will is still a little bit of an open question. You know, you've got to look at the, the coaching preferences and that kind of thing. But you know, if you want to score points and you want to win games, it's very clearly established that you need to throw more. So even if the target share drops, if the overall pot enlarges, and then the efficiency increases for all those guys because of DeAndre Hopkins isn't getting double teamed, because of Corey Davis, who is still trying to kind of find his way, fight through injuries. I mean, you've got a situation where Mariota is hurt. Corey Davis not been 100% through a big chunk of his career and is the focal point for defenses, right? So there, there are some real positives there, even if the target share were to decrease. And so I'm hopeful those guys will score a lot of points and stay healthy. But yeah, I, I think your point is, is very accurate in that even with a zero running back start, if the other drafters also go heavy at wide receiver, you can find yourself light at a position that you've emphasized. Yeah, which is kind of wild. And I just want to throw a couple more notes on the Corey Davis, piggyback on some more research I did on him. Uh, Marcus Mariota's ADOT cratered last year over his first few seasons. So I really do think his arm injury was impacting him all season. They only threw 437 passes. It was the second fewest last year because the Seahawks went so run heavy, but it was also the second fewest in the last five seasons. Both those teams were lower than any team over the last four years. So I, I and, and they threw less than 20, 25 or fewer pass attempts in eight of their 16 games. So the whole idea that Corey Davis was like inconsistent, well, they weren't even throwing the football and they weren't throwing it down the field. And if you look at Corey Davis's air yards profile, he still has a strong racer. And I think a better racer at the, 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 the further downfield depths. I think that's where he wins as a receiver, as a player. That's why he had such, such good, um, such a good prospect profile is he's a player he's as a bigger receiver that can win in the, at the intermediate range. I mean, that's what we should expect from him. And, his average depth of target created last year as well from his rookie season, along with Mariota's, which created across the board for all his receivers. So I really do think their, their pass volume and the types of passes that Mariota was throwing were impacted by the injury that he suffered in week one to his throwing arm that I think kind of affected his entire season. And Davis still was pretty solid. He still commanded a pretty strong target share and had an 8.0 yards per target, but he, he definitely needs to take a step up from that. But I think with a, health, a potentially healthy Mariota, there is some chance for that still. Yeah, and I think when you look at the, the Titans, are going to be interesting this year because uh, if you look back to Week One, like you mentioned with Mariota, they also lost Delaney Walker, so that 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 season derailed very very quickly for them last year. But it's uh, it's been a really action packed show. We did mention at the start the first one with a guest, and I think that uh, we can all agree that Ben certainly didn't disappoint uh, as he came with a lot of good stuff. Really enjoyed talking through the running backs and wide receivers, uh, and I think it's been a, a really fun show. So uh, Ben, I have to I have to thank you for jumping aboard here on the on the overtime podcast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and thanks again, guys, for having me on. This was a, an absolute blast. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I jumped on and I, I feel like I did more talking than Sean. I, I intended to come on and listen to what Sean had to say, but um, this was a, a really good time. 
Yeah, really, really good stuff. And uh, I think, like, for the listeners just behind the scenes, uh, the show obviously has gone gone over an hour, but uh, we, we could have easily done this show, I would say, for two to three hours. Uh, we had to cut out some of the, the show notes as we went along to, to try and fill it into this amount of time. So lots and lots of good stuff to talk about. So I really, really enjoyed it. As always, follow Ben on Twitter at Yards Progress, and you can find all his work over at CBS as well. My co-host is Mr. Sean Siegel. You can follow him on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian, and I'm Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And that's going to do it for another edition of Road of His Overtime. Until we're back next week with another one, of course, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Road of His Radio. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His at a 10% discount through the NFL podcast homepage. That is roadofhis.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukens. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Turbukens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Okay, let's say you're on vacation or out running errands and you want to see what's going on at home. Or you're at home and you want to see what your dog's getting up to downstairs. With self-protection from Xfinity, you can keep an eye on things no matter where you are with live and recorded video, all on your terms. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash self-protection. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires Xfinity Internet and compatible XFi gateway. Professional monitoring not included. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.